Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. And I also welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise and the sweet congregation of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. Come and see us. Go to gospel-of-grace.com and learn more about us. Frequently asked questions, archived messages, church locator. We'd love for you to avail yourself of that resource. And we're about to uh, enter into the subject of rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to deal with that uh, in this couple of messages. And we hope that after this hymn, you will remain with us and learn today with us from the word of God. Thank you for staying tuned here with us to the Gospel Grace Radio broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm thrilled and count myself very blessed to be able to bring you this message over this medium today. I'd like to try to bring for you today the second installment in a series of messages called Rightly Dividing, or Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. And we're going to read the text from which that comes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul wrote to Timothy and instructed him to study, to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as we told you, rightly dividing carries with it the idea of making a straight cut. We need to put things in proper place, interpret them correctly. We need to set the context when we read the word of God and see uh, what the context demands about the meaning of certain words and phrases. Okay, and that's what it was talking about. The Apostle Paul rightly cutting out pieces of a tent that they could be sewn together 
and that they would make one whole and congruent and airtight, watertight piece of material with which to make a good tent. Now he said to study to show yourself approved, a workman. You need to rightly divide the word of truth, but to do that, he went on, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. How many times have you heard people say, well, I don't really care what people preach as long as it's about the Lord. Well, my friends, let me tell you something. Even the devil will teach things about the Lord. We need to be careful about uh, the words that we speak and the attitudes that we adopt. We are told to rightly divide, and in doing that, we must also shun some things, and it's not wrong to do that. It is wrong if you don't do it, because who do you want to please more? Do you want to please man, or would you rather please God? Now, if you'd rather please man and you're listening to this program, you'll probably be turning the channel any moment now if you haven't already. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, I hope that if you are here listening to the words on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast this morning, that you have a heart and a conviction to please God. And to do that, we must rightly divide the word of truth and shun profane and vain babblings. Now, as we consider rightly dividing the word of truth, I can really think of no subject in the word of God where it's more imperative to rightly divide the word of truth than the doctrine of salvation. Salvation means to be saved, to be delivered from something to something. And my friends, I think the Bible teaches us very plainly in the New Testament scripture that eternal life bestowed upon us through the death and the merit of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ applied through the Holy Spirit is monergistic. That means that it is not a cooperative uh, effort between God and man, but it is all of God. The obtaining of his people is of God. Jonah from the belly of the well, salvation is of the Lord. The apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, if ye glory, let him glory in the Lord. He is to receive all of the honor. He is to receive all of the glory and he is to have the preeminence in all things. And certainly when we're talking about saving people with eternal life uh, from their just condemnation, where then they would be sent to the eternal lake of fire, to heaven's pure world to live in the presence of the Father, being fully redeemed and uh, atone, having your sins atoned for, then my friends, I think we see multiple passages of scripture that teach us that that is monergistic. That is not some kind of prospect for us to opt into or opt out of. No, that it is done of the Lord and it is applied seamlessly and without fail to a people of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. More than the sands of the sea and the stars of the heavens, according to our Lord. One of the first places we're going to that's teaching this is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you have he quickened. That means he's made you alive. He did that, made you alive. Now, if you had to be made alive, that means what? You were dead, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were not dead with your heart not beating and your lungs not breathing. He said this is a spiritual, a, a soul death that you were dead in trespasses and sins, that you were separated from fellowship with God because of your uncleanness. You had not only lost fellowship with God, you'd lost any capacity to ingratiate yourself unto the Lord. He said, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. Notice, 
He didn't say, but God and grandma. He didn't say, but God and preacher Joe. He said, but God who is rich in mercy for, that means because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And then he gets a parenthetical statement because he wants to really drive the point home. He says, by grace, ye are saved. So if you were dead, spiritually in trespasses and in sins. And when I say spiritually, I mean in trespasses and in sins. My friends, how in the world could you have done something holy and righteous and good to cross the gap? You didn't have to. You couldn't have. Well, Christ had to do that for you. You were quickened by the Holy Spirit of God and made alive wherein ye were dead. You see, salvation is of the Lord. Again, to this point, we go to Titus chapter three, verse five. Here talking about salvation not by works of righteousness, which we have done. When people go to tell you how they've been saved, they're going to tell you something that they've done. No, my friends, the gospel message is tell me what Jesus has done for you, okay? If I have prayed through, then that's a work of righteousness, which I've done. If I have, quote unquote, accepted him into my heart, then that is a righteous work, which I had done. If I prayed a certain prayer, if I gave a certain amount, if I walked a certain mile, uh, you know, anything that I would do, any of my actions would be a work of righteousness, which I have done. But yet salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but contradistinct to that, he says, according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What is, it, what is it here he intimates that brings you from death to life? Okay, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's the new birth. And he told us in Ephesians 2 that you were dead. You could have acquired new birth. I mean, no dead man can ask to live. Adam didn't form himself and ask to live. It had to be breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. So here we see eternal life, being saved, being born again, secure for heaven is of the Lord. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 11, because some people say, well, yes, it's of grace, but, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but, and after that, but they'll say, I had to accept it. I had to do this and I had to do that. What is the definition of a work? A work is something that you do, right? A work is something that you do. If you believe that's something you did, if you have faith, that's something you've exercised. If you've prayed a prayer, that is words that you considered in your mind, and those are words that came forth out of your lips. That's a prayer that you prayed. But my friends, none of those things can be done except you already have eternal life. And so the great, uh, the great disharmony between works and grace has never been explained any more clearly than Paul did to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 11. Verse five, he said, even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. What does election speak of in the Bible? Well, certainly I think in this context, it's talking about God according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that he chose a people unto salvation. And then he says, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. In other words, if it's grace, you can't have just a sand of grit of work to it. If it be by grace, it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If you have 99.99999% grace 
and then you tried to add 0.0000001 of works, it's impossible because you've made it all work. It's not grace. It's only all of grace if it is unmerited favor bestowed upon you by one who has the favor unto one who doesn't have the favor. And he goes on, he says, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You see, the two will not go together. So if you were saved by God, it was by no action, thought, word, or obedience that you executed. It was all of God, a monergistic work that he chose you before the world began and he secured you in salvation. Paul spoke earlier under the church at Rome uh, in Romans uh, chapter eight about the strength of the electing grace of God and how it's not according to our works. So those works are completely out of it. Notice the equation here he gives us in Romans 8, 28, this chain of salvation. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow. That means know before the world began and love before the world began. And that certainly doesn't speak of everyone because I want you to notice who we begin with here, we also end with, okay? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He goes on to say those that were predestinated, he called, not the preacher called. He said he called and whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them, that means the exact same group that we began with, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Notice the strength of the wording of the apostle Paul unto the uh, Hebrew brethren, uh, in the church in Hebrews chapter one, he said, God who at sundry times in diverse manner, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he, God, hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, past tense, by himself, all alone, purged our sins, all the way, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not speaking of this as an ongoing issue. He said he's already purged our sins. Now, if our, sin, if our sins have been purged in Jesus Christ, how is it that God would ever hold a sin against us? My friends, that just won't work. If Jesus has saved you, saved you are indeed, and heaven will be your home. The last passage that teaches that I'm going to address, there are many other passages we could go to, but for time's sake, we're just going to go to one more. Go with me to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, talking about monergistic salvation, how salvation is of the Lord, that anyone who ever lives in heaven are going to be there only by the work solely of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and not because there was one bit of cooperation in you. Nay, my friends, to the contrary, the Word of God tells us that we would never have cooperated with God or His righteousness, and we never would have feared Him. So if you go to heaven, it's because the Lord has done it, okay? And that's the basis of all salvations that we read about in the Word of God. Again, remember, we're talking about rightly dividing the Word of God. Is this eternal salvation that cannot be altered, cannot be changed. It was purposed before the world began. It was executed in Jesus Christ. It was applied, my friends, by the Holy Spirit of God in the new birth, and it will be you will be preserved unto the end because of the electing grace and the preserving grace of Almighty God. So we read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Speaking of the gospel according to the power of God, 
okay? Who hath saved us? He didn't say what the gospel hath saved. Oh, the gospel can save, and we're going to talk about that, but that's not under consideration here. He said in verse eight, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. Again, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Well, when did he figure that purpose and grace out? When you decide to give your heart to the Lord? No, sir, no, ma'am. He said, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Let me tell you something, Kindred. You going before a church of well-meaning people and with a heart of love, even with the greatest heart of love, saying, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart. My friends, you can only do that because he has invaded and taken over your heart because he had purposed to do it before the world ever began. Do you love Jesus today? Then give him the honor and the glory. And now let us rightly divide the word of truth. Now, if we want to get very elementary in the word of God, examples that we must rightly divide the word of truth when we're talking about saved salvation, uh, go to Acts chapter 27, verse 31, where Paul stood up in that ship and said to the centurion who was in charge and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Obviously, he was not talking about redemption to heaven. He was talking about being saved from the billows and the waves. Speaking of billows and waves, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, when the disciples rushed unto the Lord who was asleep uh, underneath in the, in the belly of the ship, the disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now, were they having a theological moment right there? Were they having conviction of their soul or were they scared to death that they were going to sink in the waters? Obviously, they wanted their physical lives saved. You can't apply that to eternal life. You find the exact same concept in Matthew 14, 13, when uh, Peter began looking, paying attention, got his eyes off the Lord and looked at the waves and the tempest around him. He began to sink. And what did he cry out? Lord, save. Uh, he wasn't asking for eternal life. Certainly not. He wanted to be saved from the water. Now let's go a little deeper. Let's look at examples of salvation and being saved in the word of God. That requires our work, choice, or participation. First place we want to go is Acts chapter 2, verse 38 uh, through 40. And we know that Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then down in verse 40, he says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. My friends, when we get to heaven, will we be thanking God that we saved ourselves? Or... My friends, is he talking about saving yourself to heaven there? Friends, if that was possible, why do we even need the uh, atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, if you can save yourselves, how does that reconcile with the litany of scriptures we've already covered that shows us that salvation is of the Lord and not according to works of righteousness, which we have done? Is it not a work of righteousness to save yourselves from this untoward generation, to sanctify yourself? Yes, it is. That's a righteous work. Well, my friends, obviously that can't be part and parcel of the obtaining of eternal life in Jesus Christ. But the words, the gospel that was preached that day is very effective in one whose heart has already been changed and the spirit is already possessed and heaven is already their home for them to learn and to grow and to save themselves, to turn away from the sin and toward the righteousness. You see, that salvation was not speaking about saving from hell to heaven. No, that salvation is saving us from this untoward generation and the wickedness that abounds around us every day. Again, rightly divide the word of truth. 
Notice again the words of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. I don't think they were trying to confuse him. He wanted to know something he could do to be saved. He could perform, and they told him what he could perform to obtain the salvation under consideration. Now, friends, is belief a work? Well, in John chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ called uh, believing in the Lord God a work. It's a work of God. It's something that honors God, and God works it in you. But my friends, we actually are the ones that do it. We are actually the ones that perform it with the spirit that God gives us. So it's not obtaining for us eternal life. Oh, my friends, but his house was saved from despair and darkness and fear. Oh, and ignorance through the power of the gospel, through being baptized into the Lord's church and having a, a nation, a kingdom of people of like mind and hearts to dwell with, with whom they could worship the Lord. Amen. They got saved. They didn't get saved from hell to heaven, but him and his family that night got saved from this untoward generation, got saved uh, from thinking they had to carry about their own uh, sin debt, got saved from all of the heathen uh, idols and, and things that were set up around them and endangered them. No, my friends, oh, they had some salvation, but it wasn't the obtaining of heaven that day. Let's look at another oft misunderstood salvation text. We go to Romans chapter 10, uh, speaking about the word of faith. When you've heard the gospel and you believe it, but what saith it? And by that question, he's speaking about what saith it. What does faith testify of? Does faith testify of your works or does faith testify of a work that's already been done? Okay, so again, verse eight, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Notice he wasn't preaching to get it into them. He's preaching it and they see it and understand it because it's already in them, you see. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Okay, now, does that take your cooperation? Does that take an action or an effort on your part? Well, obviously it does. For us to believe in the Lord to the point that we will uh, make a spectacle of ourselves before everyone who hates Christ, uh, to be willing to use the energy to speak those words from our mouth, those are things that we do. Again, it's the Lord that enables us to do them. He enables that, he gives that ability because he's already applied eternal life to us. But my friends, those are things that we must do. Therefore, they are works of righteousness, which we have done, and they do not enter into the obtaining of eternal everlasting life. But I'm gonna tell you what, my friends, when you believed in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you confess him with your tongue, I'm here to tell you that your conscience and soul will be eased, and the Lord will give you special intercession from the right hand of the majesty on high. He'll answer your prayers special. He'll give you protection special. He'll give you comfort specially. My friends, those are salvations, but what is under consideration there is not being saved from hell to heaven. Let's quickly look at another one that needs to be rightly divided, folks. I'm gonna tell you what, if you don't rightly divide this passage of scripture, again, you are gonna be so bewildered when you're reading the word of God. Here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of a salvation the sisters can have. Now this is a salvation the sisters can have that I can't have. Why? Because I can't bear children. First uh, Timothy 2.15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing 
if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You see, my friends, if this is talking about eternal salvation and all of us men, all, all the men have no hope of going to heaven. Balderdash, my friends, we know this salvation is something, a deliverance that has been being bestowed upon sisters when they faithfully raise their children and what are they being saved from? If you look at the context, they're being saved from ministerial silence. They have a mission field. They have a pulpit from which to preach. And that pulpit is at home, not in the teaching ministry of the church when they gather together. No, that is to be reserved for the men. But the women have a special, 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 powerful pulpit from which they preach. And it is in the presence of their dear children, raising and rearing them in the fear of the Lord day after day after day. They're not only saving themselves through childbearing, they'll also be a saving influence on their children if they've first been eternally saved by the work of Christ and that's been applied in the heart. Then, my friends, even those children, having already been born again, can be saved from the perils and the ignorances of this life through the teaching and the preaching and the belief. Yes, sir. The last salvation text we have time to look at today regarding salvation, we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, where uh, the apostle Peter is speaking of baptism. He said, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Well, there are some people said, if you don't go through the baptistry at church, their church, no less, or if you don't go through some, some baptismal ceremony, whether it be sprinkling upon the head, which is not baptism, that's just wetting a head. That's not being baptizoed or being immersed and being wet all over. No, it's not. But even if you were, my friends, does that obtain for you eternal life? Or is it something that you perform wherein you receive a special blessing, a special deliverance, a special salvation? I'm telling you it is temporal in nature, not eternal in its efficacy. Why? Because he said of baptism, even baptism doth also now save us. I believe that now save means here in time. This is where we receive the salvation of baptism. It enters us into a fellowship with like-minded Christians where we can rejoice in the kingdom and the teachings of Christ. And he went in this parenthetical statement and made very plain, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. You see, if God has spoken peace into your conscience, then that's the answer you ought to give him back is to be baptized. But you being baptized, my friends, isn't doing anything uh, to take away the filth of your flesh. Uh, you being baptized isn't doing anything uh, to give power behind your conscience, showing it that you're not uh, burdened under your sin debt anymore. No, Jesus did that. And because he did that, we ought to be baptized and avail ourselves of that salvation. Do you see, my friends, the necessity for rightly dividing the word of truth. We began with all these texts that teach salvation is fully holy of the Lord and it's not at all according to works or works of righteousness, which we have done. And then how do we reconcile it with all these that we've read? My friends, they're all precious, but they all need to be rightly divided and placed in the proper context. Come to the Primitive Baptist Church and hear preaching that we trust and praise God for is rightly dividing the word of truth. May God bless you.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the man.